Hello and welcome to the Ramen Profitable Podcast. My name is Atish Mazumdar and I'm here with my co-pilot, the great and powerful Chris Scott. And this is the podcast about testing out your ideas, taking your first steps, and really overcoming those obstacles on the way to entrepreneurship. Enjoy. This is a question of of honesty here. Oh, God. Oh, God. (laughs) Do you think, as I'm getting older, am I getting a case of the Steve Buscemi eyes? Oh, because you don't sleep? No, I sleep. I sleep fine. I sleep plenty. Because you only consume your uh, nutrition through uh, liquids? Liquids and bars. I eat plenty of bars. (laughs) And uh, your eyes are starting to bulge a little bit? No, it's it's honestly not because of any of those reasons. My just my eyes are just kind of like they're I I don't know. Like they're they're vaguely um like uh obviously I'm saying this without any uh uh intent behind it or so there should not be any uh negative or or uh you know whatever intent especially because it's my own self that I'm reflecting to. But I just I have very um Asian eyes like even my uh, I remember there was a story uh, when I was a little kid and I was in India with uh, with my grandfather he took me out to the market and he got very offended because uh, one of the guys who was there thought that I was like an adopted Chinese baby like that I wasn't that I wasn't uh, of his lineage so to speak so I've always kind of had uh, eyes like that, like in that sort of sense. But as of late, or at least like in the past like year or two, I just get like heavier and heavier bags under my eyes. So now I've just got like a serious case of Steve Buscemi eyes, I think. Well, well, I think that's just, you know, comes with uh, an iron deficiency. Is that what's going on? I don't know. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, but I, I appreciate your story about being uh, accused of being adopted because I had something similar in high school. Did you really? Thought, yeah, I thought me and my brother were adopted because my mom it looks very white. Yeah. And my dad was never around. So I was like, oh, you must be adopted. Yeah, no, that was that was the exact same thing because my, my mom worked at the high school that I went to. And so uh-huh. everybody knew that I was related to my mom, but nobody had ever seen my dad around. So everyone just assumed that I was adopted. Right. Yeah. Yeah, did you thing. ever did you ever get questions like, uh, so where are you from? Oh, yeah. All the time. And then you always say something like, I say, Tucson. I'm from. Tucson. <laughs> yeah. And what's what's the response after that? Oh, I mean, like, where are you from ethnically? Yeah. OK. That's generally how that conversation goes. So the way it went for me was, uh, uh, where are you from? I was like, oh, I was born up in Alaska. And they're like, oh, you're an Eskimo. Yeah, you're an Inuit. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, like back then, it wasn't even the you know, yeah, nobody said Inuit. correct it was way to Eskimo. say Inuit. Yeah, it was, I think the pr- proper way is Inui. I think that's how they say it. It was it really? I think so. I'm not positive. Don't take my word for it. Dun-dun-dun. No, I, I, could, I could believe that because um, even like speaking locally, you know, uh, it wasn't that also the case with um, certain roads like those Ina road is uh-huh. actually pronounced Ina because it's a Native American word. I thought it was. Uh, is it, though? Because there's, there's a there's a building at the U of A called Ina, Ina, like Ina Gardner, scientific, whatever. 
research facility? Oh, I mean, I guess it depends which one came first. If Ina slash Ina Gardner was born before or after the creation of the road. I I don't, I don't think the uh, names change all the time. So I don't, I don't, yeah. So I don't know. I, it's a very good uh, point and question. (laughs) <laughs> that it's that may like, not have any resolution. No, I mean, that's that's kind of the curious thing, right? Because the original name of Ina Road might have been Ina, but now people have been calling it Ina for so long. It's like, how can you say that it's not Ina? It could right. be by right. now. Like the generations of people who called it Ina are long gone. True. But uh, yeah, that's names are weird. Origins of names are weird. And it's just interesting how society can take a name and claim it for their own. Mm-hmm. And have no respect for the origin, or, or even like a curiosity as to where it originated from and how to properly say this. Right. I, I was actually just recently having that conversation with somebody, um, because you know me, I'm not like I have my private thoughts and I have my own little, you know, things that I'll express with, you know, yourself or like whatever. But I'm not going out into society trying to start fights or trying to, you know, do anything. I'm I'm mild mannered. I'm just keeping everything even. But I uh, got into an Instagram argument, which was a dumb mistake. Like that's, it's basically just taking your time and flushing it down the toilet. Um, don't know why I did it. <laughs> uh, but basically there was this, um, because I think what everyone can agree on is that there's like, there's a lot of things that we could all stand to learn from, or, you know, we agree or we disagree, or we have like these conversations about it. Um, but, but ultimately at the end of the day, most of the time, if somebody is telling me something that I didn't already know, this is something that I would be like, maybe not even grateful for depending on the context, but like, I'm happy to always like, for instance, Ina, Ina, you know, et cetera. It's like, Oh, like, uh, an econ professor told me that, uh, several years ago. So I was just like, Oh, I've lived in Tucson all my life and I had no idea. Uh, Mm -hmm. so similarly there was this, um, young lady, pretty, uh, like a smart young lady. and And I didn't have any problems with what she was saying and all that kind of stuff, but she was going on some, um, whole rant about white passing uh people of color who are still committing like microaggressions by adopting the racial you know whatever but not overtly stating that they are of that racial group or that ethnic group or something like that because that would be you know that's it's just as bad as culturally appropriating because you are not declaring yourself as like a part of that culture and so people on the outside will interpret it as, uh, as um, uh, what was the word I just used? Uh, Cultural appropriation. Appropriation, yeah. They'll, they'll, yeah. They'll, they'll, you know, whatever. And so I don't like to pull out the, this card ever, you know, what I, you know what I mean? Because it's like, I don't, and, and maybe this is too heavy to get into on this podcast. We can have a whole different discussion about this. But I don't really identify as any race. And maybe like maybe you'd be able to relate with me on this because my father is 100% Indian. He is South Indian. He's from India. My mother is 100% Dutch. She's from and, you know, Europe kind of is a melting pot in and of itself, albeit quite monochromatic at that time. Anyways, right. Um, 
So, so you know, maybe she's not 100% Dutch. She's made up, possibly, of... I've never done one of those 23andMe things. I've never, you know, I, I don't have any interest in doing that because I am very close with my uh, lineage because I've gone literally to India. I go to Holland all the time. I know my family. Right, right, right. So I'm very in touch with my lineage in that sort of sense. But, um, but I've never identified... I don't identify as being Dutch, just like I don't identify as being Indian. It's kind of complicated for me in that sense because I don't because if I was to call myself Indian, it doesn't really make sense because I know my cousins and they're Indian and we're different. Like it's, it's just, I'm different than them. And I wasn't raised in that country. I wasn't, you know, whatever me and my Indian cousins were different. So I don't identify as Indian because that would be like, it almost feels like I'm claiming something that is not actually true, which that's a whole different discussion for a whole different time. And the same thing with being Dutch. So I don't really, align myself with any ethnicity or anything like that but but that said then i was hearing this long diatribe about you know uh white passing folks which like some could say my mom asked me recently if she if i thought that i was white passing and i said i don't know i honestly don't know because on the one hand I am like socioeconomically, I'm doing very well. I was, uh, I had a full ride scholarship to, to a university. I haven't really had experiences of adversity with race or ethnicity the way that a lot of other people have. Although, um, Tori once had to pull point out to me that an interaction I had with a cop was actually rougher than it should have been. been. Yeah. I, I didn't realize she had to tell me because like at, at the moment I was just like, uh, like I, I was just nervous because dealing with law enforcement makes me nervous. Um, right. But was that then, driving back from Mexico? It was. Yeah, yeah. 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 And she had to tell me, she was just like, yeah, that guy was way more aggressive than he needed to be. Like that probably wasn't cool. And I had to think about it. But the point being is that, you know, I've never, I've never really felt those same kind of constraints like that you would being aligned as a person of color. So I just have to assume that I'm white passing in that kind of sense, even though I don't think anyone would look at me and say that he's white. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's a confusing dichotomy and not one that I think that I understand completely. So I don't have any opinions on it because it's like, I have no idea you know, the historical context of a lot of this stuff, but well, this is, this is, uh, this is my opinion on white passing. Sure. I think it is all about, uh, this is going to sound really terrible. Sure. Uh, bone structure okay. and who, who you hang out with. Mm, okay. So I, I feel like I think we're both in the same boat. I'm, I'm, you know, I did a 23 in me and I'm all over the place, really? but my grandfather's black. Uh, one of my grandfathers is black. One of them is white and I have two Hispanic grandmothers. So I have a little bit of everything wow. uh, from this Southwest region. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I think what it is, is like you, you can't really claim to be a hundred percent one thing because then you're not, because you have this other part that's like, right. Oh, and all the parts, different parts you go to, they don't look at you as a hundred percent because you don't have the same upbringing and cultural uh, experiences that they have. Exactly. Uh, the same commitment to traditions and, and all the fun stuff. So you're basically just some sort of uh, old white person here in the Southwest that loves, right. you know, Southwest art and thinks it's, you know, <laughs> I love turquoise it, and leather goods. Exactly. Yeah. But I think what it is, cause I've been friends with a lot of extremely racist people and I have, I've had a same similar upbringing where I went to a private school. I went to college. I, you yeah. know, I didn't really hang out with, you know, a certain group of a certain cultural group, I guess you could say. Right. Like my cultural or ethnic group sort of. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and the, the, I think the thing 
for I think us is that it's very hard to look at us and like put it put a finger on the nose as to exactly what you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like exactly. If you look if you look at someone that's black, they're black. Right. If you look at someone that's uh, Mexican, they're you know they're Mexican. Right. You can tell. And I think the two of us, we have something in common where we have kind of this Anglo base mm-hmm. with this uh, external uh, facade of a tan. <laughs> like a, like a, like a, it's like a, you know, what is it? Melanin? Melatonin? Ma- melanin. melanin. Melatonin uh, is something entirely different. <laughs> that's what you take to go to bed, right? Right. <laughs> and then uh, we have this, you know, we have a little bit of that. So we just look like a white person with a really nice tan all the time. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair call out. That's exactly that's exactly what I mean as to why. And and actually, you really surfaced why I don't really identify as one of my parents lineage entirely is because, yeah, if maybe I was, you know, hanging out with a lot of Indian people in school or something like that or whatever. But there wasn't any. I was I was the one. Right. Right. So there there was even like culturally speaking, I wasn't hanging out with that many Indians growing up or same thing with Dutch people. I mean. Dutch people probably just because assumedly there were some just, you know, it was baked down a couple generations back as opposed to mine, which was at the forefront. Yeah. There's a bunch of brothers around now that are Dutch. Really? Yeah. Brothers. The, you know, the Dutch oh, bros. you're so, oh, oh. <laughs> I've been on a dad joke kick this week. Yeah. That one. I, I didn't even see that one coming. That was a good one. Um, <laughs> well, anyways, so so this is all to say that, like, I don't have really a high horse about this sort of thing. And I don't really care about people uh, appropriating because I don't think it's my culture to be a gatekeeper of. Like, if if Indian people feel that way, that's really their their fight to, because, like, I wouldn't claim any kind of ownership over any of their. So, but so this is all to say, but then so after this diatribe with this uh, young lady who's, you know, she's smart, she's, you know, whatever. But she had this whole thing about white passing and about how um, you can't be uh, like you can still be culturally appropriating, basically, if you're white passing, if you're not overtly declaring that you are of that race or of that culture. And so I said, you know, basic kind of shitty Atish response. I was just like, hey, um, I've been noticing you're like you've, you've been doing yoga for years. Where do you think that came from? Because you're not oh, Indian. Tish. Yeah, oh, I mean, tish. you're not Indian. And like, I have no claim or no ownership over that. But if you're going to draw these stark lines over, you know, who can do what and who can say what, then it's like, I've been noticing you've been doing some yoga. Where'd you get that from? And and uh, all these people who are so jazzed about uh, recreational marijuana, uh, which it wasn't even called marijuana. It was called marijuana just to be a criminal sort of thing. It was actually called cannabis before that. And it was actually called multiple things before that. But where do you think these words like indica and sativa came from? Where, where does anyone think those words came from, right? Italy. They are from India. The oh, originators, India. the originators of uh, cannabis, both for uh, functional usage, like rope and like whatever, and then also for spiritual usage, that originated in India. So before everyone gets all twisted up about owning or like demarcating different parts of culture and whatever, let's just remember that there's a lot of stuff that you think is benign but isn't, and maybe 
we should all be a little bit more generous to one another and not draw these stark lines with white passing and non-white passing and whatever. But hey, that's my personal opinion. Uh, I'm sure there's a whole lot more to it that I actually don't understand. Again, because I don't really think I belong to any specific race and culture because I haven't practiced the the stuff, the, the traditions that I haven't lived it. So I have no dog in this fight. I have no place to say it. But it was just a funny interaction from earlier this morning where I was just like, what? Come on. Don't take such yeah. a hard position when it's going to be so easy for me to just, you know, twist the knife on you a little. Yeah, I, I, I am kind of annoyed with a lot of these, uh, I guess, progressive type people that, you know, want to fight fights for other people that they have right. no uh, say in. But I also wonder, though, not to, oh, yeah, to be devil's advocate. It's like, I feel like we're, when we grow up, we don't really have a choice as to what we do as like a yeah. child and as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of get stuck in these routines that are what your parents are doing. Right. So you don't really have that choice to either lean one way or lean the other way or to That's say, true. Hey, I don't, I don't know enough about this part of my heritage. Can you teach me? Like it's, it's never, it never crosses anyone's mind as a kid. Right. And yeah. so where do you, where do you really, you know, I, I, if it's important to someone to pass along that type of heritage and culture, it should be on uh, older generations trying to teach the kids, you know, you know, this is what we do. This is our, this is a, this is a tradition. This is something yeah. that I'd like to pass on to you. It shouldn't be something that we need to think about 20 years after the fact. Right. Because, right. Because some girl in yoga pants, thinks I'm white passing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's so true. And I mean, that's ultimately the thing because uh, exactly how you put it. Like, I'm just kind of a mix of all at like everything that the, what's the Southwest has to offer. It's like, that will be what my child will be like, because my uh-huh. child will be Tori is half white, half, uh, Sonoran Mexican. I'm half white European, not half white American and half Indian. So our kid is literally going to be just like all of it. It's just, right. It's like, it's all of it. So at that point, you know, there's, it's a possibly, maybe, maybe not. We have no idea, depending on the phenotypic expression. There's a Scrabble word for you. Um, based on the phenotypic expression, it's like our kid may or may not be white passing. and But like white passing of what? Because now uh-huh. it's like, now there are just so many different ethnicities and cultures mixed in. You know, it's like, how are you going to reconcile between... Uh, Hispanic origin and Indian origin and how would anyone on the street possibly be able to pick that out it's impossible exactly right so at that point I just don't feel like it Matt I mean it's like it's all about exactly what you said basically like how you're raising them how you're raising them within the traditions the cultures the you know etc etc like I think that's really the the ultimate be all end all of it so you know it was a horrendous waste of time for me to get into such a dumb conversation and also like like, that's kind of why I feel like having any kind of hard-nosed opinion about that. Like, I'm just not in a place where I should because uh, I'm not really educated on a, a lot of the different topics. And therefore, it's like, eh, I should probably just keep my mouth shut on it. Well, no one is. And I think uh, a lot of the definitions and terms that are thrown around right now, if you are that type of person that wants to go back all the way, right. it's like, who, who, who's, who's writing these dictionaries? Who's writing these terms? Yeah. It's all, it's, you know, it's probably some old white dude. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and this is what's <laughs> I mean, fueling your, uh, you know, your, your fight against yeah, racism I, or whatever I, you want to call it. 
Yeah, I think what it comes down to ultimately, I think what both of us are kind of mirroring to one another is that what it comes down to is the individual level because we're all going to end up being a little bit different, different mixtures of this, different mixtures of that, like we're all kind of unique. So therefore, it all comes down to, you know, better understanding the uh, the individual and honestly, just treating people normally, treating, right, treating, yeah. treating people fairly uh, and equitably and uh and humanely no matter what you know the color of their skin or the uh culture or the race or the ethnicity i mean it ultimately comes down to that and with that i was working real hard to get to a segue to uh how to win friends and influence people but i i like halfway through i was just like nope this isn't gonna happen make it too well no well what's what's the first kind of tip in this book well i mean criticize people yeah techniques and handling people it's all about like how do you how do you deal with people and you know, was your honestly, approach to okay. this Instagram chat a what? way to influ- is was your approach to this Instagram chat a way to make friends and influence people or whatever? It was not. Was? It was not. I was being too confrontational. That's ah. for sure. I, I jumped right into like a confrontational tone. Well, not even like super confrontational, but it was not a good way to go about uh, winning friends or influencing people. And I guess the idea here is like ostensibly me and this person are already f- friends. So maybe I just influence them to see something from a different perspective. Oh, you're in the that second really, part of the book. Yeah, the second part. That really should have been the move. Uh, but yeah, so um, Chris and I took uh, some time just to read the the Dale Carnegie classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I've been meaning to read this book for a long time, mostly because uh, somebody that I worked with a long time ago said that this was their favorite book. And to that, I immediately thought... They must be full of shit because it's like, <laughs> really? You, like, why do you have to make your favorite book? Like, it's like as if it was an interview question. You know what I mean? Like, oh, Chris, uh, what's your favorite book? And of course, you're going to say something like highfalutin and something that makes you an intellectual or something like that because you want to get the job. So it's like you didn't have to, you know, it's like it's like what's your favorite book? Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's a tough one. Every time I get asked a question like this, I always blank. The only one coming to mind right now is uh, it's this book called The Gunseller. Uh-huh. It's written by Hugh Laurie. It's like a pretty smart, like uh, oh. like spy thriller type thing. It's I didn't fun. know he wrote books. Uh, he's, I think he's written like three. Really? Huh. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to check that out. I just got a $50 Amazon gift card, so I'm just going to I'm going to buy a bunch of books after this. <laughs> um, all, all the books. Yeah. Well, basically, what, what's, I just you? what's your favorite book? Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I should have said that, and then you would have gone off on a weird tangent of how we're twins. I mean, we are twins. We're either twins or soulmates. Uh, I'm soulmates. not sure I'm which sorry. one soulmates. it is. <laughs> I mean, twins is like a familial connection, and there could be quite a bit of that. But we also might be soulmates. I'm not really sure. Is it possible to be twins and soulmates? Who knows? Maybe. Um, but yeah, so we we uh, took some time to read. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Turns out this book's been in print for 80 years. So that was it kind of the thing. It reads that way. It does. That's, ah, oh, okay. I'm, I'm glad you said it. And it's like, all right, let's just diving straight in. I think, like, I'll give my general overview first, and then we'll kind of hone in. I think there's still a lot of really valuable content here. I think that there's some stuff that like you you 
probably, I don't think it's anything that's breaking the, like, this might have been, um, I'm saying a lot of half sentences right now. This might have been groundbreaking information back then, 80 years ago. I think right now, a lot of this is stuff that people already know, or if you're at least a little inquisitive and stuff like that, or if you're interested in any kind of psychology or anything like that, this is probably stuff that you already sort of know or have heard of at different sources, but it's good that it's packaged. I mean, let's be real. This book is a very easy read. It's a a very easy read because it will, it's basically a collection of principles and then um, it'll, it tells you anecdotes uh, regarding those principles and things that enforce it. Um, and then at the end, it even restates what the principles are. So just in case you missed it, you, you get it at the end of the chapter. So this book is a very easy read. Um, and I think that 70% of it or something like that, 70, 75% of it is really good actionable material that is worthwhile if you haven't heard it in any other form or something like that. Then there's about 25 to 30% of stuff um, that is a little dated, um, that is maybe not the most accurate way or, or the most efficient way to go about things or doesn't really work in today's kind of more modernized society, um, which is I think they did a reboot called How to Win Friends and Influence People in the Digital Age. That one was only on Audible or was only on Kindle Reader, so I didn't want to go ahead and do that, although maybe I should. Uh, but I wonder I like what re- the differences are. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously now I'm going to have to read it to see what the differences are because I wonder if they're re- they're changing the things specifically that I was thinking about. Um, but I'll start with the things I like. That I'll start with the things I like before going into the things I don't like. Um, immediately right off the bat... It starts with don't criticize, condemn, or complain. And I actually took a snippet of this here. Where is this? So my first impression of this book is uh, Atish does none of this stuff. What? (laughs) (laughs) I don't do any of this stuff? Atish doesn't do any of this stuff. I do plenty of this stuff, I thought. Where is it? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Um, it's in, it's in the very, like the very first chapter I'm looking for it. I just, I scrolled. Okay. Uh, criticism is futile because it puts a person on the defensive and usually makes him strive to justify himself. Criticism is dangerous because it wounds a person's precious pride, hurts his sense of importance and arouses resentment. I thought that was that I think like right off the bat is uh, something that I think is definitely it is a truism, right? That like you're not going to uh, be able to handle people well if you just seek out or not seek out, but like if you are just making complaints or if you're just criticizing, like it has to be um, packaged a little differently or thought of a little differently because essentially in uh in jujitsu for instance if you reach out and you grab someone's sleeve or you grab their wrist what's the first thing that they're trying to do they don't even know what you're what you're trying to like they don't know what's going on in your head you just reach out and grab their wrist they're pulling it away they're just trying Mm -hmm. to yank away so i think that this is something that's like a very kind of underlying um idea like like this this is something that enforces everything else but it's like yeah at the end of the day 
by complaining to someone, by criticizing a process or another person, uh, you're not going to get the end effect that you want. Does it seem a little bullshitty to have to package it <laughs> in something differently? And actually, you know what? We might as well, uh, I might as well just address this, this in this format. One of the chapters here I think is so dumb, um, but maybe, maybe to Chris's point, maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I don't, you know, <laughs> do any of these things or whatever. Um, which one is it? It was basically the chapter. All it made me think of was I remember um, that somebody in an interview said that they had to communicate with J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez, using a compliment sandwich. So you give a compliment, then you make a criticism or you say something, and then you end it with a compliment. So you have to talk to her in compliment sandwiches. Okay. That seems like bullshit to me. I like... I don't necessarily like so those two chapters put together don't criticize condemn or complain and then there is I'm trying to remember which one it specifically was um maybe it was begin with oh yeah begin with praise and honest appreciation which is fine I think that that's that's good but the way that they were phrasing it in the book was sort of like oh you need to give them something good first and then hit them with the other part. And it's like, that sounds like a horrendous waste of time or, or at least it just seems kind of bullshitty. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, but it, no, it's not. I think it's, uh, I think it's probably why it's hard to play the game. This is part of the game that you don't want to play. This is the thing at work where you need to be nice to somebody and then also be mean and then still come off as a nice person. Yeah, that's maybe you're right. I watched, I was, I was looking up reviews on YouTube on the book just to see how people were talking about it. And I I can't find this link now, but it was talking about there was like a a, a recommended video and it was like, how does the, how do the Navy SEALs pick SEAL Team Six? Like, how do they pick the best of the best? And they made a graph and I'm going to do an Atish, very Atish thing and make a graph right now. And so on the graph is uh, effectiveness and trust. Mm. And so, um, you know, they want, obviously you want, you know, someone that's extremely effective and trustworthy. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, effectiveness is something you could measure with, you know, uh, accomplishments. Yeah. Yeah, Results. Uh, they did X amount of work in three days. That's amazing. And then trust is kind of like a feelings type thing. It's like, Mm. Oh, is this someone that I would want to hang out with? Is this someone that, you know, I believe that will get, you know, have my back if something goes wrong. And so they found that it's more, uh, it's better to have someone that has high trust and low effectiveness versus someone that has high effectiveness and low trust. Cause they just can't, you know, they just don't believe that person will have their back. And I feel like I like, this was an eye opener for me. It's like, oh yeah, I like doing a good job is like not even half of it. It's like a third of it. And the other half is, are you a leader? What does it take to be a good leader? Communication skills. And for people to want to follow you, it, you can't just be berating them all the time, telling them they're, right. they're, they're silly. And, oh, what would you do that for? Ugh, mm-hmm. idiot. Get out of here. Go sit in the corner and think about what you did. You know, it's, it's, I think it is something that is a trait a lot of leader type people have is uh-huh. compliment sandwiches. You know, you're actually blowing my mind right now with this because I think this ultimately explains where I'm at in my current job. And I think it actually explains a lot 
I think my effectiveness is very high. Uh-huh. I think my trust is very low. And, and, and by that, I don't mean my trust of the organization. I mean the organization's trust in me. I already left once. Which, like, shouldn't be held against me, uh, but, of course, it will be. Like, there's nothing I can do about that. And I'm, the, like, to be honest, it's like I have been, um, like, my my entire focus has been on effectiveness, but not really so much on being a team player. Uh, how do I look at the bigger picture to make sure that, like, oh, sure, we could get the deal done this way and get it done fast and have it booked and recognized and blah, blah, blah. But how about teaching someone lower than me along the way how they should do it? I don't uh-huh. know that as much. You, you see right. what I'm saying? So I think I think you're right. I think you're right. Maybe it's and ultimately the, the best balance will be a nice balance between effectiveness and trust. But I think you're, you just totally blew my fucking mind. And I'm going to have to think about this afterwards because I think you're right. I think my effectiveness is really high, but I think the org's trust in me is rather not, it's low-ish because I, I haven't been the, the quote unquote team player that I could be. Right. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, so that's, that's a thought that I hadn't really considered, but I mean, I guess that, and, and that's sort of maybe why my frankness or my idea of like, Oh, compliment sandwiches, what a bullshitty activity and whatever. But it's like, well, that's exactly how you build that trust both up and down the chain is if you're able to speak honestly and give a criticism, but then also make sure you're not doing any destabilizing or breaking people up. You want to, you know, be positive in your change making. Right. Because nobody wants to be around a negative Nancy. They don't want someone that's Mm. always only pointing out the bad things. I mean, yeah. I think the only people that do are like Winnie the Pooh and Piglet when they hang out with Eeyore. Because Eeyore is yeah. just a cloud of depression everywhere. Fucking but, drag. You know, but they're friends. They're they're just, you know, that's a friend that they're treating properly that way. But yeah. in the workspace, you don't want to be around that guy because you're only there no. for your eight hours. You're in and out. You want right. to, you know, get the job done and go. You don't want to have to be a counselor during your day also. Or also, or deal with someone that you know is gonna like ruin your day. Oh, like, yeah, like yeah, 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 like like your first meeting in the morning is gonna be with the guy that only points out all the wrong things <laughs> you did. So you feel like you you're never gonna accomplish anything. You're never gonna yeah. be good enough, good enough for this job. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's fair. That's 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 really fair. And I guess that that makes sense. And um. Give honest and sincere appreciation. This one I actually do have <clears throat> some experience with, um, both in my personal life and professionally. Personally, um, although this seems a little bit more targeted or something like that, but like in my personal life, have you ever noticed um, when you give someone a compliment that's not along the same lines of compliments that they usually receive, it tends to impact them more? Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know like, exactly okay. what you're talking about. So for for instance, back in the day, a long time ago, back when I was still a single man in the dating world of Tucson, Arizona, uh I had this habit. I think the, and while I was reading the book, I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's a principle for a reason." Like this one I actually know for sure. Um it's, and of course because uh, you know, I'm a base and crass individual most of my experience with these principles come from you know trying to talk to girls but uh uh 
I, I noticed like early, early on, in fact, even maybe back in high school, I knew that this was the case, that if you give someone a compliment along the lines of something that they're not used to hearing, uh, but also like base it in reality, because uh, the, if it's true and if it's honest and if it's sincere, then not only will it come off correctly, but also it'll be based in something true and you'll be able to draw something like, so for instance, you know, uh, uh, just saying something to the, to the effect or, or like even, um, now in jujitsu, for instance, like I'll roll with somebody who's new, they get a little roughed up, maybe they're a little discouraged, but then at the end, you know, I, I say something to the effect like, man, you have really good instincts. You have really good instincts. I was, you know, I've have so much more experience than you. And even defensively, you were, you know, keeping your hands by your neck, doing blah, blah, blah. Really good work. Keep coming to class. You're, you're going to develop some really great skills. Like being able to give someone sincere and honest appreciation in a line that they're not used to getting it. Because how many uh, girls, for instance, are used to hearing like, oh, you're so hot or you're beautiful or you know whatever. It's like that kind of comes out dime a dozen. But if you change tact and like you're actually giving them you know, honest and sincere appreciation in a, in a realm that they're not used to hearing. Uh, so for instance, like, man, I really like your style. I don't know anything about any of these clothes or whatever the fuck free people is or whatever, but it looks good, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. it's, it's in a different tact than they're used to hearing it. But as long as it's still honest and sincere and you're drawing from someplace that you really do feel it comes across in the right way. And it really ends up, uh, like I've just seen it brighten people's days or like more than just saying like, you know, oh, hey, good job. <laughs> like, which exactly. Is yeah. I do this all the time with, because uh, I, I say this, uh, like creative people are, are more sensitive. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like the, the uh, investigators on ghost adventures, how they say they're, they're more sensitive to paranormal activity because sure. they just keep their energy <laughs> open for all that stuff. Right. Uh, right. But, you know, like artists and they wear their, emotions on their sleeves they're all constantly trying to put out their emotions to yeah share with an audience and so you kind of have to you have to realize that if you can't you know criticize uh someone's writing someone's piece of art to their face they're going to take it extremely personally like on an exponential level versus you know someone at work that is really Mm -hmm. good at wiping trays or whatever is happening at work and so uh it's it's always like walking on eggshells around trying to criticize or make a suggestion as to a change or so it's always about you know what you really enjoy about it what you experience you know ingesting their art and then something that you wish would have been there or something that you felt was missing versus saying oh this is wrong this is bad yeah so so almost uh almost like you're saying like Hey, I really liked the the tone or I really liked, you know, whatever. I thought the way you presented the story was great. I almost feel like it would be better or it would be more clear if X, Y, Z. Like you're you're basically, you know, you're starting with something that you really do honestly like and you do appreciate out of their work. But because you know that there's going to be an emotional sensitivity, I mean, connection to any creative type basically is like they're it's a full born expression and their product is something that they're making the whole way through. I can imagine like if you're writing a book or if you're writing a movie or if you're writing music, it's like, it sucks to, to have people just, just come out and cry. I, I wouldn't really know because I don't really do any of those things, but, um, but you did, but once. I can imagine. 
I did once. That's true. That's true. And boy, was I sensitive about my performance. Um, so, so I guess, so I can, I can completely understand and appreciate that. So, so I guess framing it in the right way, essentially. And, and this is just, I think that's a technique for handling people. Like it's, it's in the right section of this book because it's like, that's a truism no matter what, you know Uh what I mean? Give sincere and honest uh, appreciation and that will allow you to kind of couch your feedback a little differently. Um, the next one, arouse in the other person an eager want, uh, This one is complicated for me. I do think it's definitely a, a truism. Like that's how you end up getting what you want out of a, you know, you have to, it's, you can only get results so far out of getting someone to do something that you want them to do. You know what I mean? So like, for instance, my company pays me to do X, Y, Z at the end of the day, do I really care about doing X, Y, Z? Not really. Uh, I, I, I collect a good check though, but my desire for making this pay and and uh, you know gaining experience and all that kind of stuff is very high. So in that sense, it arouses. But I think this is more specific to like <clears throat> not not the concept of inception, but basically getting someone to want to do the things that you want them to do, and and how do you do that in a sense? And I mean. I, I, you hear about this all the time, at least from like a creative perspective or even like thinking about this in a, uh, in a, in a movie sort of sense, it always makes me, or, or this chapter made me think of, um, of course I always bring it back to entourage. <clears throat> it, it made me think of, um, uh, that, that, uh, arc where Vince was on the, the firefighter movie. Oh Yeah. And he ends up getting fired from it because the director doesn't think he's giving him the performance that he wants and stuff like that. But you can almost see it. How it works like that is that like they're not motivated by the same thing. What they want is entirely two different things. And neither of them are willing to communicate to one another what uh, because, of course, egos get involved. In fact, this goes back to to number two, give honest and sincere appreciation. That obviously wasn't being done. So uh, so in that case, you know, it's how do you get someone to come around or like to want the same things that you want out of the end goal? I mean, I think that's a, that's a heady concept in and of itself. I feel like you could write a book just about that one. Yeah. Well, you probably should write a book about that one. (laughs) I I think there are, I think there are, uh, what did you think about the, um, the section that was called six ways to make people like you? Uh, I, it reminded me of things I would always tell myself to do in my younger days. Mm-hmm. I would always, you know, try to remember someone's name. Right. I would always try to remember one thing about that person. Right. And so every time I saw them, I'd be like, oh, how's your dog doing with their surgery or whatever? Yeah. And so, yeah. I, <laughs> so it's, it, you know, I thought it was pretty solid. And I, the thing I think about this book a lot is that it's kind of like what we all wish we could do in hindsight. Like, oh, I wish right. I could travel back in time and just write down all the obvious things that I yeah. know now in my, after living for 30 years, mm-hmm. it's like, Oh yeah, these are all simple things. I can just write these down in a book. Yeah. Send it to the past and have an ancestor <laughs> add strawberries and cream to my fishing story. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, but, yeah. I, but I do think there are people that don't realize, or they kind of grew up in like a tiny bubble and they just mm-hmm. don't understand these the, these social constructs of, how people inter- work and interacting with people work. And I think this was a pretty solid chapter. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like th- this section, it's I would say that of the book, the most amount of fl- I don't even want to call it fluff because that's not really what I mean in that sort of sense. But like the softest section of the book was this section, I think, at least six uh-huh. ways to make people like you. But it was all really valuable sort of just kind of things that aren't aren't things that you I think you need to like really take to heart and understand the core lessons of or anything like that. Like, I don't think it has to be that heady. It's just sort of, hey, here are some general guidelines that, you know, typically. And I think it starts from the right place. It says become genuinely interested in people. And I think that's the starting point because everything that comes subsequent, smiling, uh, remembering and using somebody's name, um, listening well, uh, uh, bringing things back to that person's uh, interests, whatever they're talking about or whatever they think is important. Um, I think all those things are subsidiary of that first point, which is just like be genuinely interested, be actively engaged. If somebody is having a conversation with you and you know, you're just like looking off to the side or putting things in your bag, you don't, it's like you just are messaging that you don't give a fuck. Uh And um, it's, it's just, the way to make people like you is to be just actively engaged in what you're doing. If somebody wants to, you know, and it's um, like, I'm not always in the best mood as I'm sure, you know, one could imagine. I know it's hard for you to think that that's the case. Um, But, but every now and then, (laughs) every now and then I'm not in the best mood, but it's like, it's crazy how much like that impact, because to me, it's just like, Oh, fuck it. I had a rough day at work. I had whatever, whatever. But it's like somebody new who's interacting with me, somebody who is, you know, um, bringing me my food or something like that, or somebody who's, you know, whatever. It's like they're having an entirely different experience. And if you remember to, you know, be kind to them in the general sense, be interested in what they're saying. If they are trying to like tell you a story or they're telling you an anecdote, uh, I'll perfect example. Got a good example for this. Uh, I go to the gym very early in the morning and there's a guy who opens the gym uh, very early and he's a really nice guy. But it's like, look, I'm trying to get in here. I'm trying to work out. I'm, like I've got my whole fucking day after this. So like I'm, I'm, I've got a tight time frame here. I'm not trying to spend all day here. And he's coming with different stories and different advice and different, all this kind of stuff, you know, whatever. And it, uh, you know, tends to eat up my time a little bit and I, I end up getting a little frustrated. But at the same time, it's like, uh, you know, every now and then when I've forgotten my like little sign in thing, he'll just sign me in. Um, he'll uh, when I'm like running late or something like that, he makes me a protein drink every now and then, like whatever. It's like he's actively just a nice guy. He is interested in me as a person or like as a client, I guess, or I'm not sure what. So it's like I have to also do the same thing. Be genuinely interested in him. I know his name. I, I repeat his name all the time. I know he's got kids. I know he's really into his truck or <laughs> something like that. You know what I mean? It's like I'm just being more interested in him as a person, not for any means or for any gains or anything like that, but just because uh, like that is – I think ultimately it comes down to – is it the the golden rule? Is that what it's called? Oh, when you do others the way you want, yeah, the, how you want yeah, to do Yeah, yeah, basically. And I think that that's the way that you end up, like, what this is, what this book is kind of getting at is being the kind of person who, you, like, you will end up, for business applications, you will end up creating opportunities for yourself just if you are 
a interested person. You're just interacting with people well in life and you're not being so closed off. You're more engaged with what you're doing, essentially. Exactly. The, this is the section where I thought Atish does none of this. That's, uh, that's number four. Uh, be a good listener. I'm a great listener. What are you talking about? So every time I edit this podcast, uh, I look at all the waveforms for our the whole hour. Oh, yeah. And it, it is like solid green lines for Atisha's audio track. And then for me, it's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, every 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So it's like nothing on mine with a few little spikes and then an hour solid block on Atisha's. <laughs> a big, long section of just, of just green. Just yep. Yep. I should send you a, a picture. It's really funny. Oh, I'll, send, I'll send you a picture. Yeah. Uh, but, I've, I've, I've been curious about that, about like how, like putting um, better listening skills into practice and what that would end up doing for you in a sense. Right. Well, for me, I've uh, found I've always been a really good listener and everyone opens up their life book to me and tell me everything, anything and everything about the personal life. And it's, it's kind of weird and it's also kind of, nice but also you know i feel like a lot of i have a lot of good relationships because of it yeah no it's true early on um like i mean i guess a little backstory i think we brushed on this last or not last week but the week yeah, before we did chris and i met through an acquaintance i wouldn't even say it was like through a friend of a friend or something like that it was more of just through an acquaintance and um, we were just like set up to do do a little shoot or something like that. And I was going through a weird time in my life. <laughs> and Chris another being, one. Yeah, an, an, another one. Another really weird time in my life. And uh, Chris being the, the great listener that he is basically just became in, like he was trying to get what he wanted out of the situation. Oh, this is perfect. Actually, this is a perfect representation of this section of the book yep. because you were trying to, obviously you were trying to get what you wanted out of it, it was like some extra shots. You wanted to do some test. Like, I think you were doing test shots for different lighting or different stuff that you had in your studio. Uh-huh. Um, and, but in order to get that, <laughs> you, you had to become genuinely interested in me. You were listening. Well, you were all man, all this stuff talk in terms of the other person's interest, because like I was having a fucking meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and Chris was able to get hopefully what he wanted <laughs> out of the situation. Um, but, but I didn't feel like, you know, because you know, I've done shoots with other people. Um, I'll be nonspecific. And there are ones, there are ones where, uh, Basically, people are, uh, you know, like, for instance, the stuff that I did with Reptuck, they're like, all right, just put the clothes on, vibe out, whatever that means. Like, I got to try that one. Yeah, well, you know me well (laughs) enough, Chris, that you know that I can't vibe out. You know what I mean? He's just like, yeah, just like, we'll turn some music on. You just like vibe out, do whatever you want, and and we'll just take some shots and they'll look good. No, because then that's just an hour of you trying to figure out what vibing means. Yeah, exactly. I, I was like, I was like, okay, let me. Like, I'm just trying to figure out like what I'm doing. Whereas uh, you really figured out the balance between saying like, hey, uh, stick your head out like this. Okay, do this, and then but in between, you'd also just be chatting and kind of saying whatever. It's like that was the level that I can deal with because it's like, look, I'm not a model. Just you know, tell me what you want, and I will do my best to do it. Yeah. But then, of course, that comes with a whole lot of anxiety and a whole lot of other stuff. So you were able to really kind of get me into a comfortable position 
by just listening to me. And then because you're such a good listener, I just basically rattled off my life story up until that point. <laughs> and I've been hearing the same story ever since. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with some slight variations, but yeah, actually this is, this is the, this is the section. And I don't remember how it picked up from there, but uh, pretty much then after a slew of many drunken evenings and uh, uh, Fernet and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, many years later, here we are. Here but, we are. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I have no idea either, but here we are. Yeah. Well, so actually now, now that you contextualize it that way, I think I like, I was a little maybe harsh on, on this section of the book, but okay. Six ways to make people like you. And especially, I think the thing to really kind of take out of that is that Chris is creating like a very, like a fanatical, I wouldn't even say like maybe client base slash like people who are in your Rolodex. Do you know what I mean? Like not all of them would be clients. Some of them would be people you would work with. Like, like now if you think, um, oh, I just got, you know, this, uh, Instagram account hit me up and they will trade some money or some product or something like that for a shoot or or for some photos or whatever. Who am I going to call that, you know, can wear this hat or or whatever it would be. It's like now you have this Rolodex of people who would be willing to do something for you because you've made them like you, like you, you have made them both professionally and personally. Like, um, yeah, that was brought up to me working on this last podcast where it's, it's, um, like I, I, I freak out asking people to do things. And then someone pointed out, it's like, Oh, everybody you asked us said yes on the first ask. Like, no, that doesn't happen for everybody. Like, yeah, you know, you've, it's, I established these relations, like approach the relationship building more leaning towards, less client, more friend, which makes it yeah. easier to do asks like ask for an actor to be in a project for free real quick. And so it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it definitely is a, uh, it's, it's a good idea to, to approach all business like relationships this way. Yeah, no, that's, I, I think that's a great point. That's an awesome point. Now I, I really don't think about it like that, but, um, that's a good, like, especially, you know, early on in entrepreneurship and stuff like that, it's going to be pretty lean, you know, because not everybody you've already probably badgered your family enough <laughs> to do to do X, Y, Z. Right. You know I mean, it's like if you're able to meet clients or potential customers or uh, just people who are around uh, <clears throat> and like in that sense, that's that's why the like testers that I have with Flowroll are so willing to do that. It's because they were my friends first. So yeah, I think you're right. Maybe establishing this relationship building from that kind of a viewpoint um, you know, being a good listener, talking about the things that they find interesting or that they like, like approaching it as a friendly kind of uh, dynamic might end up get, getting you more down the line with these people, or, or at least you're going to have like f- personal fans or something like that. You know, that's, that's probably a really good way to go about things. I, all right, maybe I was, I might've misjudged this section a little bit. But I think you can take it too far. I think if you take yeah. it too far, you can go, you know, like car salesman level. Mm-hmm. Or it just feels too uh, fake at that point. So you just got to keep it genuine, yeah. and you know, not not turn it up to twenty six. Just keep it at like eleven. Annoying. <laughs> uh, that's that was actually that was something that I really struggled with when I worked uh, for that startup, and I was I was doing inside sales, so I was like hitting the phone all the time. Um, was that they were like, oh yeah, if you see that they're interested in 
you know, like talk to them about the game or something like that. If you see that they're a fan of whatever. And it's like, first of all, I wouldn't know the first thing about what happened in any game. That's that's number one. Number two, it's like your car salesman is exactly the right thing. It's like that's so fraudulent and so uh, just it, it just feels like like a scam or like a gimmick. And that's kind of the thing that I will give this book credit for is that it's not saying just talk out your ass. Like it's no. legitimate, like be interested in what the other person is talking about. Speak honestly with them, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I will give the <clears throat> book credit that it's not trying to be this like um, there, there's a book that Jordan Belfort, uh, The Wolf of Wall Street published. And I was kind of interested in picking that one up next because I wanted to compare this against that because it's like. Nobody took the right message away from Wolf of Wall Street, the movie. Everyone saw it and was like, oh, fuck, yeah. Like, how do I get into this? You know, whatever. It's like, no, it's supposed to show you how greed and excess are bad things. Right, right. <laughs> um, and so uh, and, and they say that you can tell when a when a sales rep has what's called commission breath, which is like which I think that was my problem on inside sales was basically like, but it wasn't so much commission breath i had quota anxiety two different things uh although i was definitely happy with like the money that i was making when i was making sales and stuff like that but i was just so nervous when the new quarter started and i had to fill my quota the first people that i was talking to probably could just hear it in my voice that i was just looking to book them on something just so i could put some numbers on the board and uh that's not being genuinely interested in people that's not being a good listener Uh, That's not talking in terms of other people's interests. It's like I was literally just talking about my interests. I was talking about me making a sale so that I could fulfill my quota so that I could feel good about myself and have a big check. You know what I mean? Right. It's not that not a good way to go about doing things. Um, Damn, I uh, (laughs) timed this poorly. I thought we were just going to rocket through this book, but we still have about halfway through in terms of impressions. Uh, I think it's because I opened up with that fucking 20 minute diatribe about race. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good talk. That was a good talk. Well, I just had to get it off my chest because I I realized like I was kind of being a dick. Um, Uh So I was not winning friends nor influencing people. But at the same time, it was like a concept that I just I I, and I'm glad you pointed it out because you and I are soulmates uh, (laughs) slash twins uh, that it's like, yeah, I I think you and I might think about this a little bit differently just because we're we're mixed race. It's not exactly clear or or it's not we're not boxed into something or an identity very easily. Right. Anyways, anyways, I I think I think we touched on the second parts of the book, the next parts of this book with these two parts, I think they're kind of just reiterating the points they made earlier, you know, being how to win people to think your way of thinking. It's like, Oh yeah, be nice to them. And then I thought that that was interesting that they, yeah, I thought that that was interesting that they open with be genuinely interested in other people. But then there's several other chapters that are like, um, Try honestly to see things from another person's point of view. It's like, well, that goes without saying. If uh, if you're being genuinely interested, I feel like empathizing is part of that. No. Uh huh. Well, yeah. Well, I, this this section reminded me of uh, something I learned at my first job at Skyline Country Club, and I guess I used to say the word hate a lot, but I was also like eighteen, nineteen. It's like, yeah. oh, I hate that. Like it was for things I didn't like. Yeah. And this bartender, that's a complete douchebag. 
He was like, stop saying hate, dude. No one's going to want to talk to you if you keep saying hate. He's like, instead of saying, uh, instead of saying, hey, why don't you say I'm not a big fan of? Mm. And it kind of takes the, uh, the negative edge off of disagreeing with someone's point of view. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's actually uh, something that Tori really kind of put me on a good perspective with because she pointed something out that was something that I was doing well or rather I was doing okay, but I could be doing better. And Mm -hmm. she gave me a contrasting example. So basically um, her ex-boyfriend made her feel stupid a lot because they would have arguments or like they would, they would disagree on something and then he would just like rattle off all this stuff and be very vehement about his position and probably use the phrase like hate or use like this really strong worded language and then basically be like, how could you not see that? Or why don't you think that? Or something like that, which immediately kind of puts on this offensive sort of relationship because now we're not just talking about the thing that we're actually discussing, the argument. Now it's like we're drawing people's intellect or people's, you know, we're, we're, we're elevating it into being more of a personal conversation than it needs to be. Like sometimes we're just, you know, like for instance, last night, I, I just really didn't understand. I was like, there's a gas station next to our place. Why did we just take this left turn into this, you know, whatever it's like, it doesn't have to be about the person though. Like mm-hmm. I, you would never say, why'd you do something so stupid? It's like right. that is basically a way to guarantee that the other person, no matter you're not going to get, even if you get what you want out of that individual incident, that person is not going to be aligned to your thinking and is not going to be won over because all you've done is kind of berated them down. And so that was something that Tori pointed out that she was like, you, you are definitely better than my ex-boyfriend in that sort of sense, because which I would hope would be the case. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if she's still bringing it up. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. Uh, but she was basically saying that I would listen to her point of view. And I would say, I can understand why you would feel that way. And then I would present my point of view. So it just became a, an, like a conversation about the topic of discussion. There was no personal feelings involved because you're always kind of innocuous. like, I can understand that point of view. Um, perhaps consider mine. And then so it's it's a much healthier way of kind of discussing th- or like to have opposing views rather than like just forcing someone down into like a street. And, and I mean, that's that's basically what this chapter, I think, or at least what it was certainly saying to me was, you know, OK, so uh, he starts out with the only way to get the best of an argument is to avoid it. I think that that's true. I think yeah, that's, that's very true. Truism. Yeah. Avoid arguments. Don't don't have them. Like if you can still get your point across and feel heard, you can feel respected without having an argument. If you can still agree that, okay, you know, just just because I disagree with your perspective, I understand that this work has to be done or this thing has to be done. I'm going to do it anyways. Like, you know, it's a lot healthier if you just don't frame it as an argument to begin with. Um, But then being able to empathize with the other person's perspective, being able to see their point of view um, and never just overtly saying you're wrong or that's dumb or, you know, whatever, because that's now just uh, becomes an attack on the person, not so much the thing that you were even arguing about to begin with. Right. And also kind of uh, building upon your motivations behind your point of view, I think is another part of this chapter. So it's not about uh, what I want. It's like the, the greater good of mm. the thing you're trying to influence someone on. 
Yeah. Yeah. Being able to take the personal kind of feelings one way or another about something and just uh, being able to extrapolate to the larger kind of goal. I mean, now I can justify this conversation from when we started the podcast. Similarly, it's like, yeah, why did I, I, you know, if I was trying to win someone over to my way of thinking, I shouldn't have just been bringing counter examples into the mix. Uh, what about what about yoga? That's Indian. You can't be, you know, whatever you're culturally appropriating. Probably wasn't the right way to go about it. <clears throat> Instead, we can understand that the uh, I, uh, he refers to it as a nobler motive or like the altruistic. I don't know, nobler, nobler goal or something like that. Um, uh, we can understand that or like if I had appealed to that, I would say, hey, I really actually appreciate your thoughts on, you know, whatever. I probably don't even appreciate uh, how much uh, uh, identity with race and whatever uh, affects people's experience in life because and then kind of talk about my perspective. Right. You know, like it, it would have been a better way. It, like we're appealing to the more noble goal of everyone feeling equal and everyone feeling um, uh, uh secure and everyone feeling safe and everyone like that's basically the end goal the end goal of this is that you know there's no uh uh what am i trying to say there's no um disadvantage given to any race or ethnicity or something like that based on the color of their skin their background blah 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 blah. right that's the end goal and at the end of the day this young lady and myself we are moving towards the same end goal Right. So perhaps appealing to that would have been a better way to go about it than just, oh, you're wrong. Here's some counter evidence or here's a counter attack, basically. Yeah. It's uh, we're, we're working on the same side and maybe identifying that would have been the right way to go about that. Yeah. But also, uh, this is probably not a topic that would ever be in this book. And it's something I found that is very helpful in this, I guess, section of whatever the topic of this section of the book is, uh, uh, dealing with assholes. And it sounds like this girl might be a little bit of an asshole. She might be an asshole. Yeah. And sometimes the only way to get through to an asshole is to out asshole that asshole, Mm. be a bigger asshole because all assholes are just basically insecure crybabies. Yeah. And as soon as you say something that touches that nerve, then they open up to everything. They're not, yeah. their defenses are down. They're like, Oh my gosh, mm. you called me out on something that I'm afraid to talk about. That should be your book. Your, your, you should write. Cause, cause like, if you think about it, this book is, um, it's like 230 pages. Like all business books are around 200, 250, 300 pages. They're not well, 300. It's a little long, uh, but like 200 pages, you can breeze through that. I think you should write like a 200 to 250 page book called out assholing the assholes, <laughs> the Chris Scott method. Yeah, I could definitely do that. Yeah. I could definitely write 230 pages on how to do Perfect. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay. Last section here was all about uh, being a leader and it really draws on, because uh, like you said, there's, there's a little bit of repetition of the same points uh, that were introduced early and then kind of are spread out because a lot of being a leader are listening to other people's perspective and, um, <clears throat> you know, appreciating them and, and showing them that, you know, like be honest with them and be empathetic and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot about that, but there was actually a part in this and I forget the specific chapter. Let me see if I wrote it down uh, somewhere. I think I did. 
Is it the save face one? Uh, page 129. I wrote this. I specifically got the page. Um, if we know we are going to be rebuked anyhow, isn't it far better to beat the other person to it and do it ourselves? I thought that that was very reminiscent of uh, the Chris Scott method of implanting maybe this was in call attention to people's mistakes indirectly or talk about your ah talk about your own mistakes before criticizing the other person so you make them feel comfortable with like you know whatever i was like that's that's a lot like the chris scott method where you implant something that's like a little shoddier in the work just to give them a lightning rod of something to focus on because uh, i there's there's a there's a part in here where basically um the the guy or uh the the story because because basically he tells stories about each one of these principles right Uh so the story goes that um the guy uh wasn't getting anyone to commission him for his art and he just kept going back and going back and he was just and instead he would uh the guy would just like not be interested so instead then he opened up with the question well I'm sorry. This was a half. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. The artist comes back with a half done drawing and he says, so sorry. I didn't have the time to finish this week. I've been very busy from this point. What would you want me to do in order that you would want to buy it? Like what, what Uh would be, you know, whatever. And then the guy described essentially what he wanted. And it wasn't that different from his previous works, but because he was able to make the right tweaks and the right little changes, the guy bought a bunch of his art. So that made me think of the Chris Scott method because it's like, hey, that's the same thing. That's the same thing. It's like you're giving them something to just correct against or something to like get that out because they want to establish control over the project. It's they they want, you know, everything the way that their vision does it or whatever. So you give them something to correct and then now they're happy and you're happy and and the job is done. You've done it the way that, you know, is probably best suited for the project or something that only you would know as a as a creative uh, because how many times, like <clears throat> I, uh, I, uh, once recommended, uh, my buddy who was a tattoo artist to somebody else. And then I felt so bad because this, somebody else was like, not somebody I knew that well, but they were looking for a tattoo. I was like, yeah, you should go over to this person. And they were like a nightmare client because they were like, no, I don't want this. I want this, you know, whatever. And you know, my buddy, who's a really nice guy, just keeps redrawing, keeps redoing whatever. And just nothing. They, they, at some point in time, it was just like, this is not a productive conversation because you're trying to get what you have up here onto paper. And it's like, we need to go about this process differently. So I, it just reminded me of the Chris Scott method of like, you know, um, being nice about it and then just kind of focusing attention into specifically what that person actually like getting them to be like, what do you want or, or what do you want to change and giving them a suggestion. And that's really, uh, I think that that's like multiple things. It's in, that's winning people over to your way of thinking. And that's kind of leading them towards, you know, the end state of the project. Influencing them. Yeah. Cause clients don't know what they want. That's why they're hiring you. And so right. they know what they don't want. So trying right. to find what they'd want is the hard part. And that's what these techniques will help you get to, hopefully in an efficient manner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. So fin- final thoughts. Would you. Uh, I think this is what do you yeah, think I as think, a whole. 
I think it's a good book. I think it's solid. I think it's, um, yeah. Like I, I know I've said this before, but you know how you sometimes have to hear something from someone that's not in your circle to make you realize, yeah. oh, I should be doing this, not that, even though everyone tells me I should be doing this. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a I think it's a good source. It's only like ten bucks. It's like come on, yeah, learn how to be exactly. a better listener. Learn how to be a better coworker, leader. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good good read. I think it's worth it. Way better than four hour work week. Yeah, to be honest with you, I actually like this one better than Four Hour. Even though, like, one would think that I would align more closely with Tim Ferriss and like that kind of because he's like a a little scientific project tester kind of guy, and that's me. Um, uh-huh. But weirdly, I, I kind of like this one better, also. And and I think you're right. I think there's nothing in this book that's ultimately too complex, but I think that that makes it super actionable. You know right. what I mean? It's like these are all little changes. Like, okay, so for instance. Uh, was there anything from the book that you pulled out that you actually want to start working on? Uh, well, I don't know. I kind of felt like reading it. I felt like I do a lot of these things already. So I didn't really. Yeah. It kind of was. It just felt self uh, like validated my approach to everything more so than something I want to try out. If that makes sense. Yeah, there were there were two. I mean, OK, so obviously, number one, uh, I'm going to work on my listening skills because <laughs> evidently <laughs> I need to work on my listening skills. So that's number one. <clears throat> the second thing that um, I really thought was interesting was um, in in part of uh, win people to your way of thinking. Uh, I don't like the chapter of this because I don't I think it doesn't describe what the action is correctly. Um, but the chapter was called get the other person saying yes, yes, immediately, which is a very classic. This is a classic technique in what's called objection handling. Mm. So. Basically, you're on the phone with a potential client or, you know, you're kind of going over your pricing model with them or something. And then they say something kind of a detracting point. They say something to the effect of like, yeah, you know, oh, I don't know. This is a little bit pricey. This is a little expensive. I I don't know if uh, if uh, I want to put down this money for that. And I say, oh, trust me, I completely understand. Um, You know, this uh, this software isn't exactly or, you know, let's talk about flow roll. Be like, yeah, I agree. You know, I can completely see from that perspective uh, for a month's supply for $35 for something that, you know, you currently are training without. I can understand why that's that's an added expense. You're already (coughs) sorry. I've been allergies have been messing with me. Um, You know, you're already paying your gym dues. You're already doing this. It's like now you want to take on a $30 a month, you know, 35 buck a month extra expense. It doesn't seem to do that. But, you know, (coughs) let me ask you this. do you do you uh, kind of sometimes wish that you're getting the like the most out of your training? You're spending all this time, all this energy, all this money. Um, but do you ever kind of wish that like you were more concrete in how you were progressing and how you were developing? And then they'll assumedly say yes, because that's that's a it's a loaded question. It's it's like rolling loaded dice. You know what I mean? It's like it'd be pretty difficult for someone to say no to that. Right. You know what I mean? Or at least someone someone who trains jujitsu because everyone's trying to we're all trying to rank up, get that black belt. We're all trying to be killers, you know, whatever. So then I say they say yes. And you say, yeah. So, I mean, I guess just conceptually, uh, conceptually speaking, if you had a way to be a little bit more focused and a little bit more engaged in training in a sense that's been shown to actually increase your ability at the gym by X, Y, Z percent, you know, wouldn't you kind of like like wouldn't you kind of think that that's a worthwhile uh, expenditure? I'll say, ah, yes, 
Like, you know, whatever it's, it's because that's, again, it's a hard question to say no to. So instead of just saying, uh, because when somebody gets sticker shock on something or when somebody, you know, has an objection, you don't just want to say, no, but look at all these case studies. Look at this. Look at this. Like, you don't just want to prove them wrong. You want to empathize with their situation, but then show them the better path, show them the better path forward. And I'm okay at this. I wouldn't even say I'm maybe not even okay. I understand the general concept, but I haven't really practiced it all that much. And I think that my current work, as well as um, my my also current work <laughs> with Flowroll, could really be benefited by this, like this concept. A, being a better listener, so I'm going to work on that. B, uh, you know, kind of getting people getting people into the habit of saying yes or like or acquiescing to kind of the ideas that I'm putting forward not immediately saying oh no you're wrong because of xyz but more empathizing with them and then showing them the better path forward I think Mm -hmm. that that's the the things that I really drew out that I want to work on from this book right yeah that's 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 a good one I might I'm going to try and apply something like that to this uh, new pitch I'm trying to put together yeah and trying to be more uh, empathetic but also make people realize that these are the types of like movies we need to make in this town versus another Western. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, outside of, uh, which was that one that was, I don't know if you'd even call it a Western, but it was very Western themed. Uh, which one was that, that I liked a lot? Cowboys versus aliens. No, (laughs) (laughs) had the guy from star Trek in it and it was a Western. Which well, star, it was it which was Star Trek. Um, the new ones. I don't watch them. Oh my goodness, the new ones. There's a guy from Star Trek. In yeah, a the Western. guy. He plays Kirk. Oh, uh, Chris Pine. Sure. I don't know if that's his name. Yeah, he was. He was in a movie that wasn't a western. Like it's not specifically a western, but the th- it was thematically a western. Oh, Hell or High Water. Uh. Oh, yeah. That one was a killer. Love that one. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> I don't know why I was talking about that. <laughs> I don't know either, but. <laughs> While I'm dying over here. Um, man, I should get a cough button or something. Uh, Chris, you got anything to plug? Uh, right now, I guess just follow me on Elephant Scout. Uh, at Elephant Scout on all the social media. Our podcast is 100% out. And uh, so if you want to do a binge listen, you can do that. Just look up Tucson Heat. And what do you got? I got nothing. No, I've got uh, my social media at Atish Mazish. You can find me there for a lot of stuff. I had a very, maybe I'll save this for next week um, because this might be something. I had a very interesting uh, conversation with somebody uh, via social media. Some some business Another intrigue. One? Oh, mean? a business one, not not just you yelling at. Some oh white yeah, girl. no, yeah. not not me being an asshole about <laughs> cultural appropriation. No, no, <laughs> no. This was actually like a more interesting conversation, which I'm of course always wary of because basically everyone on social media is trying to scam you out of a lot of stuff. Uh, but this was actually a little bit different. This was something that was kind of interesting. So I'll, I'll probably bring that up uh, elsewhere. But. Um, I'm thinking what a good way to get back into the saddle and do a write-up on how to win friends and influence people so uh, I can finally get off my butt and actually start writing things again. Hopefully put that into a collection for uh, people who want to 
read more books or at least learn more concepts, do that kind of stuff. I think that's at the core that is what I'm all about. So uh, I'm trying to learn right now how to be more in service of the things that I'm actually genuinely interested in in life as opposed to just doing things that checks boxes, which is hard for me to do. But hey, that's all the topic for a different <laughs> different podcast. But uh, for right now, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Robin Profitable. <laughs>